0: to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Well, we've made it past Thanksgiving. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. And now that we are in December, everything is all wrapped up in Christmas. Three weeks from today is Christmas Eve. It's going to be a great Sunday. We hope that you plan to be here both in the morning and for our Christmas Eve candlelight communion service that we have every single year. But as we think about Christmas, there are so many different thoughts, ideas, principles, concepts that are related to Christmas, And if you were to do a survey and say, just put down one word that you associate with Christmas. Hopefully, the number one word on your list and all around would be Jesus. Thank you for the amen. But I would say that if we allow people to make a list several words long, that one of the other words that would come very close to the top of the list, if not second, it would in my list... Would be the word joy. Joy. Christmas is often associated with joy, as it should be, and joy is such an important aspect of Christmas, or people hope it will be. I think of the, one of the most popular songs we sang it this morning: "Joy to the World, the Lord has come." I think of the message that the angels gave to the shepherds that he came. They came to give them good news of great. Joy, not just for them, but for all the earth. What is joy? A lot of people associate it with happiness. Some people say, well, it's pretty much the same thing. Other people say it's no, it's totally different. There are some aspects where it really is different. Uh, I've been told, I've heard said, I've never really researched it to find out if this is really true, that happiness, even in its spelling and form as a word is that feeling that we have, that good feeling that is based on happenings. And so we have happiness when there's good happenings. But if we don't have good happenings, if good things aren't happening, it's hard to have happiness. Whereas joy is not dependent on happenings. It's not dependent on our circumstances. We're going to spend a bit of time talking about that today. But you know, there is a whole lot in the Bible about joy. And I believe that that is so because God is the only true source of joy. And I believe the only way to truly have joy in its fullness is as we have a relationship with God and are living that out. So as I said, there's a whole lot in the Bible about joy, especially in the writings of the Apostle Paul. You can read any of his letters and there's a lot about joy. One of his most joy-filled letters is the letter to the Philippians. I think it's like 15, 16, 17 times he talks about joy or another form of rejoice or being joyful. And it's interesting that he wrote that while he was in prison. Which would seem to indicate, yeah, maybe we can have joy. Even if things aren't exactly the way we would like. But the thing that's kind of sad to me is the fact that even though God wants his children to experience joy, and everyone would like to experience joy, there seem to be only a small amount of people that actually do experience joy consistently. Why is that? And unfortunately, you would think that there'd be greater episodes or greater Experience of joy during the holidays, and that certainly is true probably for a lot of people, but we also find that for certain people during the holidays, just the opposite is true. Because of circumstances of life, because of other things that people deal with, during the holidays there are a lot of people that struggle. Levels of stress rise. Levels of depression rise. Even levels of suicide rise to a certain degree. In the midst of all this talk about joy and all the celebrations and special music and the shows and the events and the giving and receiving of gifts, joy can be elusive. Why is that? And what can we do about it? Today, we're in the third week of this sermon series I began a couple weeks ago called Always. We're going to wrap it up next week. Always. Started out as a Three sermon, sermon series, but I got another direction I want to go next week that'll tie it all together. Always. We're going to read here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 in just a moment, but in these short couple of verses, Paul shares with us three things. Three attitudes, three mindsets that lead to habits. These three things that we really need to have in our lives To be able to properly deal with life and all the difficulties that are there. To do it with victory, but also to have the best relationship that we can have with God. Two weeks ago, I talked about always thankful. And that was great because that was Thanksgiving weekend. Last week, I talked about always prayerful. Today, we're going to look at always joyful. Which makes sense because I've been talking about joy so far all along. But our passage is in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses sixteen to eighteen. Just a couple of really short phrases. Paul says, "Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you." What this tells us, as I've mentioned the last couple of weeks, it's God's will that we always be thankful. That we always be prayerful and that we always be joyful as we look at today. The first phrase in verse 16, he just says, rejoice always. Now, when you hear this, you might say, you know, as much as I really would like to do that, I can't do that. I got too much junk in my life. Got too many things coming against me. I've got too much stuff that brings me down. How can I rejoice always? How can I be always joyful in the midst of all the stuff that I face? What's really interesting is if you look at Scripture, just a couple thoughts before we jump into the main part of it here. The Bible says we can experience joy in the midst of anything, even and especially during difficulty. We see that we can have joy. Joy can exist in the midst of sorrow. Paul talks about his life, And all the stuff he went through, and in this long list of difficulties, but yet the good things, back and forth, back and forth, he says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, sometimes sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He said, even when you're in sorrow, you can rejoice. Not only that, but joy can exist in the midst of suffering. I know that this sounds like a contradiction. But Paul said in Romans chapter five, verses three and four, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces and we're going to stop right there for now. But he says, you know what? We can even have joy when we're suffering because if we're dealing with our suffering the right way, it brings about good stuff in our lives. So we don't rejoice in the suffering part, but we rejoice in what it's going to end up being. We find that joy can exist in the midst of persecution. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Jesus said, even when people are coming against us, because we're believers in him, because we choose to follow him, we can rejoice And we see that the disciples put that into practice. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of how the disciples are arrested. And this is the second time. Because they've been preaching about Jesus and telling people about Jesus. And the Sanhedrin brings them in. The first time they brought them in, the Sanhedrin warned them, said, you better stop this or there's going to be trouble. The second time they didn't. I mean, they didn't stop it. So the second time they brought them in and they beat them. And they threatened them again. And I love the description of their response in Acts 5.41. After this beating, after this flogging and the threats, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. After having been beaten and threatened, they were rejoicing. How can we experience this kind of joy? Not just during this holiday season, But in our lives, if it really is true that God instructs us through Paul to rejoice always and joy should be part of our life all the time, how can we see that happen? That's what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about today. Some very practical instructions from God's word about how we can incorporate, how we can experience his joy in our lives, no matter what it is that we face, no matter what it is that we're going through, no matter what it is that we experience, we can have God's joy. So I want to ask this question and answer it. What can we do to regain or to grow in joy? To regain if we've lost it or when we lose it or... We've got it a little bit, but what can I do to grow in this joy? And I just want to give you a list of a number of things that God's word tells us about his joy that can help us to experience his joy all the time. Doesn't mean we'll always be successful because we're still human. We'll still give in to those moments. We'll still focus on the wrong things. We'll still get down. But the potential is there. And I want to challenge you to live out that potential of experiencing God's joy. The first one is this. Ask God to fill you with joy. Ask him. Ask him. There's a passage we're not going to read, but you can read it later in Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. It says that joy is one of the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit are those things that God would like us to have as a part of our life. And the presence and power of His Holy Spirit helps to develop that fruit. Just like you have fruit that grows on a tree. Takes a little bit of time. Some of these things, it takes a little bit of time for it to ripen and mature and to be always evident in your life. But it talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love and joy is the second one. Joy. God wants joy to be in your life. And He wants that so much that it is is a part of His Holy Spirit being within you if you're a believer, if you're a Christian is the development of joy. Now, we got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You know, God wants us to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all those things. But you know what? If we don't do our part, it's not going to be there. But that being said, the first thing we can do is ask God. I love when he was getting to the end of his letter to the Romans. Paul said this in Romans 15, 13. He said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So a blessing, but it was an expression, I believe, a prayer. May God fill you with joy. If it's something God wants you to have, if it's something God wants you to experience, ask him for it. You know, that's something I pray all the time and not just about joy. But God, I don't want to miss out on anything you have for me. Help me to experience all that you have for me. Help me to experience joy. Help me to experience your peace, which is the direction we're going to go next week. This passage doesn't say anything about peace, but when we find that when we're always thankful and always prayerful and always joyful, it will lead us to a place where we can always be peaceful. So we'll look at that next week. But Lord, help me to experience, help me not to miss out because I've gone the wrong way because I'm focused on the wrong things. And Lord, joy is one of those things. And it can get very, very personal. You say, Lord, I am really tired today. Or Lord, this thing happened. and Oh, Lord, I don't like that. But Lord, I want to experience your joy in the midst of So would you please help me to do that? So ask God to fill you with joy. The second thing, and this maybe should have been the first one, but I put it second. Maintain a close relationship with Jesus. Now, for that to happen, first of all, you have to have a relationship with Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear that when we're born into this world, we are born separated from God because we're born sinners. The Bible is very, very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, which is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus came. We're going to celebrate his birth here this month. He didn't come just to give us another holiday, to give us a reason to give gifts to each other, which has always struck me as kind of strange as Jesus's birthday, but we give gifts to each other. I don't necessarily think that God's displeased with that. If we do it out of gratitude for what God's done for us, we want to show the same love and and and, and whatever to other people. But he sent Jesus and Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we can't live and When he died upon the cross, the Bible says that that death paid the price for our sins. And as we put our trust in him and we turn to him and repent of our sins and express our faith in him, he becomes our savior and our sins are forgiven and we can have a relationship with God for all eternity. And can I tell you that there may be bits and pieces of joy and or happiness? I don't care how you want to define it. If you don't know Jesus But you can never truly know real joy without knowing Jesus. And that may be the most important thing you hear today, whether you're here or you're watching online or you're listening to or watching this at a later date. If you really want to have joy, first of all, you need to have Jesus. Surrender your life to him. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in him and what he did for you on the cross and begin to live for him. But getting back to what we're talking about, if we want to have that joy and experience it on an ongoing basis, we need to maintain a close relationship with him. It's not just, okay; I surrendered my life to Jesus 10 years ago, three weeks ago, 40 years ago, whatever. But we're maintaining that relationship. We're staying close. I love one of the pictures that Jesus used to illustrate this in John chapter 15. And he tells this little kind of... Uh, it's not really a parable, but it's kind of this word picture of how our relationship with him and how his life flows into us and through us and it produces good things is sort of like this vine, a grapevine, with all these branches going off of it and on those branches are produced grapes. And Jesus says, I'm the vine... And you are the branches. And the goal is that we stay connected. And as we stay connected, my life flows through and into and through you to produce the fruit. Okay? And Jesus, in telling that story, has a lot of great truths to teach. And we've talked about it before. We'll we'll talk about it again sometime. But several times throughout that passage, you can go back and read the whole chapter. It's great. John 15. But all the way through talking about that, Jesus said that one of the end results that he's looking for is that we can experience joy. Let me just read a couple of verses. In John 15, verse 4, and then jumping down to verse 11, he says, abide in me. That word abide means to remain, to stay connected. Uh, in a very simple way, it means to live with, Okay, spend life with, do life with, abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I don't know about you, but I want not only joy, but I want full joy. Sounds like a good thing to me. But he says as we're connected with him, we maintain that relationship, his life, flows through us. His joy flows through us. Maintain that relationship with him. And I would just add this secondary thought before we move on. Don't get sidetracked even by other good things. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is as we have a relationship with Jesus and we begin to live life with him and for him and doing what he wants us to do, we'll see other good things happening outside of us because he will use us to make a difference in other people's lives. And I can tell you, I experienced that as a pastor. I love it when I see or hear somebody comes and tells me whatever of how their life has been changed because of something I've said or done, you know, at the direction of the Lord and and, in service to him or something our church has done. That makes me feel really good. But what happens when you're not seeing those kind of results? Do we lose our joy then? We shouldn't. You know, there was a time when Jesus sent 72 of his disciples out to minister. He sent them out two by two. go to all towns and cities, heal people, cast out demons, preach the good news. You're going to have power. You're going to have authority. You're going to see some great things happen. And they came back and they were all excited. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 17, it says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So Even the demons will be cast out. And Jesus says, oh, that's great. You know, paraphrase a little bit. Yeah, I saw Satan cast down from just, you know, just really saying you did a good job and it really did make a difference in the spiritual kingdom and all that kind of stuff. But he wrapped it up by saying this in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I don't think he was saying we should never rejoice or be happy because good things are happening. I think what he's saying is, That's great, but that's not where you need to put your confidence. That's not where you need uh, to make the source of your joy because sometimes it's going to be good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're going to see good things in your life, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to see good things happening as a result of your influence in your family and friends and church and world and work and school and whatever. And sometimes you're not, but one thing you can always count on If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have eternal life. That's what you need to rejoice in. So, maintain a close relationship with Jesus. The next one kind of follows out of that because this is something that can really disrupt that. Number three, confess and forsake sin. That's kind of the definition of repentance. We confess, we recognize I'm a sinner, I have sin, I know it's a sin, and then I'm sorry, Lord, and I want to repent. It means to go the other direction. You know, if this is the direction sin is, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the other way. And can I tell you that one of the biggest disruptions of joy in our lives, I would say that it may, this is just my thought, my opinion, it may be even more of a disruption than having something negative happen to you will be when we allow sin to to have a place in our life without dealing with it. And that's why I put this here, confess and forsake sin. You know, one of the most joyful people I think we see in Scripture is King David. Not because there's a lot of descriptions of him being joyful, although there are a couple of them. I mentioned, I think, last week or the week before about that time that he was bringing the ark into the city of Jerusalem, and he's just praising God and dancing around and all that kind of stuff, expressing great joy that the the presence of God is coming into the city. But just because of all the Psalms that he wrote, all the expressions of joy and enthusiasm for his relationship with the Lord and all the good things that God has done with, uh, done for him and in him and through him. But even in the midst of all that, there was a year in David's life that he was miserable. I can't say for sure he didn't experience any joy because there's no testimony one way or the other. But I would venture to say that if he experienced any at all, it was very, very little And that year was right after he had committed adultery with one of his best friend's wives, Bathsheba. He tried to cover it up in a simple way. It didn't work, so he had his best friend, one of his best friends, killed to try to cover it up. And Scripture indicates that it was almost a whole year before he dealt with that sin. He he thought, maybe I can just get away with it without anybody knowing. You know, Bathsheba was pregnant, but because it happened so quick, 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 and then he married her, that maybe people would assume it was, you know, it was all good because she got pregnant after, whatever the situation might be. But it was almost a year before God said he's not repenting on his own, so I'm going to have to confront him. Now, I'm not putting words in God's mouth, but that seems to be what happened. And he sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. And fortunately, David responded the right way. He immediately repented. But I encourage you later this week, go and read Psalm 32. We're not going to read it this morning. Most Bible scholars believe, and it certainly is descriptive, that this is what David wrote about that experience, that after he had sinned, before he repented, he was miserable. He talks about God's hand being strongly and heavily upon him, that even to his bones he was experiencing this, this turmoil, this, this whatever. He says, but then... I ask for forgiveness. It's interesting because the psalm doesn't start with the terrible. It starts out with how blessed are people who have their sins forgiven by God. This is what happened to me. Then he talks about the misery and the turmoil before he got it right with God. Another psalm, Psalm 51, is David's prayer when he was confronted about his sin. And he repented. And one phrase in there stands out in relationship to our topic today, that's Psalm 51, verse 12. One of the appeals God, uh, David made to God was restore to me the joy of your salvation. What does that tell us? He wasn't experiencing it. His sin had robbed his life of joy. And I would just tell you that even if you are a Christian, even if you are a believer, if you cling to sin, Or even if you just fall into sin, you give into temptation. We all face that. And you don't deal with it right away. It can steal your joy. Along with a number of other things. See, joy can't coexist not only with sinful actions, but many sinful attitudes. Sin cannot continue to coexist with envy and resentment and unforgiveness and bitterness and... Unjustifiable anger. But we have the promise of God that when we come to him. He'll forgive us. First John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're here today or you're watching online. And right now God's speaking to you about something in your life and it's not right. Right. Get it right with God. Obviously, what we said before, if you don't know Jesus, (laughs) turn your life over to him. Repent. Put your faith in him. But if you're a believer and you've allowed something to kind of slip under the radar, and I know we all have areas we're working on and that kind of stuff, but you're just kind of coddling it. You're just kind of thinking, well, I can get away with it or whatever. Get it right with God. Get it right with God. What else can we do to have life as an ongoing thing and have joy as an ongoing thing? presence in our life. Number four, live a life of obedience. I know that goes along with the sin thing, but this is the positive side of that. It was not just dealing with sin when it pops up, not just dealing with sin when it happens, not just dealing with sin because I messed up, but make it our goal and our desire to just live for Jesus and do what he wants me to do. The same passage I mentioned before in John chapter 15, where he talks about being the vine and where the branches We got to stay connected. His life flowing in us and through us and all that kind of stuff. If you look at verses 9 to 11, we did read 11 before. He says, abide, remain, live with my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So before we talked about that this whole joy thing was because we are in relationship with him right here. He talks specifically about, you know, I love you. You love me. But, you know, the, the, the true sign of your love for me is that you do what I ask you to do. And Jesus mentioned that several times. John records Jesus's words saying that several times, both in his gospel and in his letter. First, John, in fact, he's so bold as to say, if you say you love Jesus, but you're not trying to live for him, I think you're deceived that's God's words not mine so if you want to have that joy live a life of obedience you know the part of that another part of that is the the fact that God is a good father and a good father will discipline their child when they get out of line because they love them and they want to get them back in line and um, the Bible says that as a good father God does that Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole passage. Verse 6 and 10 and 11 in particular. It says that God as a good father will discipline his children when they get off the path. And I love one of the phrases the writer of Hebrews says. He says, and discipline's not much fun. That's a paraphrase. But we can relate to that. Discipline is not fun. And that definitely can dampen our joy. You know, some of the most miserable When I say miserable, I don't mean they are, but they feel that way. Some of the most miserable Christians I've ever met are those that are trying to live for Jesus and trying to kind of live in the world at the same time. And, you know, you can't really do that. You you can maybe try to start out to do that. I saw a little video clip um, on the Internet the other day, and I thought, that's a great illustration. This pastor had put two ladders up on the platform, you know, A-frame type ladders. And he stepped up on the first rung on both of them. And he was really solid and secure. He said, you know, as people try to live for Jesus and they try to live their own life with the world, it's like they're trying to climb both ladders at the same time. And he started working his way up the ladder. <laughs> and since they're A-frame ladders, they're getting farther and farther apart. And he stretched that and he became very precarious. You know, you can't do that. it's like some of the most miserable people I've ever met are people who say, well, I want to live for Jesus, but I want to do my own thing. And you can never be happy in either world. Because when you're doing the world's thing, you feel convicted like this isn't right. And then you're trying to live for Jesus, but I got the stuff in the back of my... It's just not right. You just need to be fully committed. Live for Jesus. Live a life of obedience. The fifth one is this. Trust in God. And really, that's... What it comes down to if we want to experience joy in the midst of difficulty. Now experiencing joy when everything's going good is easy. Okay? You know, as you enter this holiday season, if everything's in pretty good shape for you, you're feeling pretty good, your health's all right, you know, life's not perfect, but you got your family around you and, you know, you're expecting a good Christmas. I I was able to afford to buy some, you know, buy some gifts for my family and I'm expecting to get some and we're going to have some good times together. We got these celebrations planned. You know, when everything's going well, it's pretty easy to experience that joy or happiness. But when life is difficult when there are the health issues, when there are the difficulties with the finances, when we are separated from family either because of distance and they can't make it or we can't make it this holiday or because they've gone on out of this life, then what do we do? Well, to be honest with you, the only way we can really experience the fullness of God's joy for us is when we trust in Him. Trust in Him that He loves us, that he's going to take us through whatever we're facing. And that he can bring good out of it. I, I love this. You know, Paul wrote the original verse that we base this sermon on. He says, always rejoice. But he also wrote Philippians. And in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can I tell you that there's a key there. He chose not to put it in the passage of 1 Thessalonians. But here in Philippians 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Don't let what you choose to look at to be the source of your joy, be your circumstances, your family, whatever it might be. Let it be the Lord. If your focus is the Lord, then you can have that joy. And the Lord being the sense that I'm going to trust God. Even though I don't always understand him, even though I don't always like what he allows to come into my path, even though it's really frustrating sometimes, I'm going to trust that God really does love me and that he really is at work in my life and he really will bring about good things in response even of the bad stuff that's going on in my life. When we focus only on ourselves and our circumstances, when those circumstances turn sour, it can steal our joy. So we need to rejoice in the Lord, his plans, his purposes, his blessings. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Paul writes in Romans 15 verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What does that mean in believing? The New International Version puts it this way. As you trust in him as you put your trust in him, as your belief, as your faith is in him, that's where it's going to come from. That's where the joy is going to come from. Romans 8, 28. I've said this so many times. This is one of my favorite verses. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I'm so glad that God does that whether we believe it or not. But the thing is, is if we don't really believe it, or we choose to stop believing it for a while, or we choose to doubt it, it can steal us of our joy. But if we really do believe it, we can still have joy because we know that no matter what we're facing right now, God's in control. He's got a purpose. It's gonna bring good out of it. He promised He would. Maybe I won't see the goodness or for the fullness of the goodness till I get to heaven, but it's gonna bring about something good. So I can have joy now, even though it's difficult. Number six, say, Pastor, how many are there? Eight. We're going pretty fast. Number six, take, and some of these overlap from some of the previous messages because they're all related. Take the long-range view of life. Take the long-range. In other words, life's not just all about right now, but it's what's coming down the road. And I know that's related to what I just said. We're going through difficulties now, but God's going to bring good out of it, so we're looking down the road, okay? This was illustrated so well yesterday morning. Many of you were with us as we had the funeral for Sister Pearl, Sadis' mom. Wonderful time together. A time of sorrow to a degree, but it was so full of joy. Why were we able to be full of joy when we were in the midst of a memorial, funeral service? Because Sister Pearl was a believer. She lived a good, long life. Not quite as long as Brother Rupert here, but getting close. A couple more years, we'd have been celebrating her 100th birthday. And we know that in a little while, that's what I talked about, was in a little while, if we know Jesus too, we'll get to see her. See, all the family is still dealing with that, and very appropriately so. I know some family members are here today. There is nothing wrong with feeling that sorrow. You're going to miss that person. And that's true for all of us with whatever loved ones we have lost. There's nothing wrong. Jesus sorrowed over Lazarus' death, even though he knew in a couple minutes he was going to raise him up. He expressed sorrow, says Jesus wept. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's just one example. You know, if you think about this Christmas season, how many of you have certain things coming up this next month you are really looking forward to? You know, getting together with family, a certain meal, you know, giving, receiving presents, whatever. I told you my wife and I are going to be going off for a, about a week. Um, we'll be here next Sunday. Then we're going to fly out on a Tuesday, come back, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, in there. We do this pretty much every year to go up north with my family. Uh, it's so big, they celebrate Christmas a week early because otherwise you can't get everybody together. We're going to have about 49 people at my parents' house to celebrate Christmas in a couple of weeks. But we'll be back for Christmas Day. But really looking forward to that. But you know, when you're looking forward to something and it's getting closer and something brings you joy, there can be bumps on the road. It's like, oh, I don't like that. But you know what? Looking down there, you know, just a couple more days and we're getting on that plane, you know, just a couple more days. We're going to go be with family, you know, just a couple more days and we're going to have a big Christmas celebration, you know, whatever you can overlook. You can get past those bumps in the road because of the stuff that's coming down the road. Now, I do understand that some of those bumps in the road are big. (laughs) But that's okay because what God has for us is big too. So if we take the long-range view of life, Paul put it this way in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 5 verses 3 and 4. I read this earlier. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces. And you can read that later. It produces all kinds of good stuff in our lives. James said something similar. James 1 verses 2 to 4. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. That sounds like that does not make sense. But the reason is because you know that the testing of your faith develops. he's got a long list of good things that will develop in your life as your faith is tested. You know, many things that we lose our joy over, we don't even remember after a couple days or maybe a couple of weeks have gone by. Some, it may take a little bit longer than that, definitely. But so many things that we allow to steal us of our joy are really not that big in the long run. And if we just look beyond it, if we take the long-range view of life, the good that can come out of it if we can just realize that even in the difficulties of life, God is at work and he will bring about our good, then we can have joy even when things seem to be falling apart. Number seven is kind of an obvious one. Focus on the blessings of God. Focus on the blessings. I I mentioned that a couple weeks ago when we talked about being thankful. Focus on the blessings of God. Focus on what God hasn't... I'm sorry... Let me say it again. Focus on what God has given you, not what you wish he had given you. Focus on what God has given you rather than what you wish he would give you. Have you ever known someone, and if it's you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand. Have you ever known somebody that was so disappointed that they didn't get the main thing they wanted to get for Christmas, that they didn't enjoy and appreciate the things they were given? I hear a lot of laughter out there. Some people are like that. They're so focused on one particular thing and they can't get that all the other. They don't see all the other good things. Okay, Don't be one of those people. Focus on the blessings of God. And then the last one. Invest in other people's lives. You see, again, one of the things that steals our joy is because we're so self-focused. So self-focused. So self-focused. It's me and this is happening to me. And I don't like this because this is happening to me and I'm in need. And and, and those are all valid. Those are all things we can pray about. Those are all things we need to wrestle with. Those are all things we can do things about. But don't focus so much on yourself. Invest in other people's lives. We've already talked about Paul off and on throughout this message this morning. That he was always full of joy and writing about joy, even though he probably suffered more than most any other Christian we can think of trying to do God's work. How and why was he able to do that? Well, one of the reasons he writes about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 to 20. He says, what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He says, you know what makes me really happy? You know what really fills me with joy? It's the way you've responded to Jesus. And the way you continue to serve him, even though you're going through difficulty. And I had a part to play in that. That's what Paul would say, because Paul's the one that went to Thessalonica. He's the one that founded the church. So that's where the source of my joy is. You know, perhaps you can relate to it. I hope you can. You don't have to raise your hand because we don't want to embarrass people that can't. But how many of us get more joy out of giving than receiving? How many people find their joy in this holiday season when they see the joy on everybody else's faces, not necessarily because of what they received? I know that that's pretty much the way I feel. I'm not saying I'm wonderful or anything. I just just love seeing other people happy. And if I had a part to play in that, that makes it even better. That makes it even better. People say I'm really hard to shop for because I don't want much. I don't need much. What do you want? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if it's true. I don't know if I could ever go through a Christmas and not receive anything and not think something was wrong, but I've never had to, so. Anyway, don't want to get sidetracked. Invest in other people's lives. Some of the most joyful people I've ever known are people that are pouring themselves out for Jesus, touching other people's lives. You know, a little video clip that we watched, uh, Amy wasn't in the video, except I think that was her receiving the chicken, but you didn't see You know, her whole thing. But whenever I talk to her, whenever I see a video she's produced, whenever I hear her voice, there's such joy. And she's given her life to touch the children of Zambia. We can experience greater joy, more consistent when we give our lives for others. But let it start at home. Let it start at home. With your spouse, if you're married. With your kids. With your parents with the others that are around you, even if sometimes they're difficult to love. It's been said so many times, I'm sure you've heard it, but when you look at the word joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Even a kid's song written about it, I'm not going to try to sing it. But you want joy, put Jesus first. And then others. And then yourself last. Yourself last. The good news is that one of the side results of joy is that we are strengthened. And I believe all the way around. We can be strengthened physically. We can be strengthened emotionally. We can be strengthened spiritually. There's a a verse that probably most of you could quote. Some of you might even know where it is, but it's not easy to find. It's in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, and it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. When we're filled with the joy of the Lord, it gives us strength gives us energy. It helps us. You know, a lot of physical weakness and apathy and sickness can be due to a heavy spirit. So joy can definitely help counteract that. So as we wrap this all up, I just want to tell you that experiencing joy all the time may not be something any of us have done uh, consistently without ever a break. But according to God's word, it is a possibility. As we trust in him, as we have a relationship with him, as we put him first and live for him and live for others, we can have that joy. So I hope this message today has challenged you, not just out of the desire like, oh, I want joy in my life because so often I don't. That's fine if that's the way it is. But it's challenged you to do these things, not just to get joy, because it lines you up in your relationship with God and others to experience the best life that God has for you. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elders, our prayer team, our staff to come forward. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. I encourage you to sing along if that's what you'd like to do. If there's something in the message that really spoke to you, you may want to pray about that. But if you're here today and you would like someone to pray with you for yourself or for someone else or a situation you're aware of, that's what we're here for. But I would also say that if you're here today and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, and say, hey, God has just spoken that to you, that not just because of the joy, but you're a sinner and you need a Savior come, and we will pray with you to see that happen. And in just a couple of moments one of us will come back and close in prayer hallelujah hallelujah oh we worship you god we bless your name father we thank you that we have the awesome privilege to live for you oh god thank you for the joy unspeakable and full of glory that you provide when we surrender our lives and we walk in obedience to your word Father, I pray your blessings over your people, everyone under the sound of my voice that is living for you. Oh God, may they walk out of here today in strength and wisdom and joy because of who you are and what you are doing in our lives. In Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. God bless. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message Revival study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.